Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's guest is Jesse Davis, a professional football player at FC Nordsjälland in the Jensidige Kvindeliga in Denmark. Davis is an American defender who played for Penn State University back home before coming to play in Scandinavia for IK Uppsala in Sweden. Although they never made it from the Elitetan to the Damalsvenskan while Davis was there, she made it to another Scandi top flight when she a couple of years later ended up with the Danish side FC Nordsjälland. In this episode we talk about soccer in the US compared to football in Scandinavia, how she got told by a coach in Sweden that she couldn't kick a ball and what she has learned about the game since leaving home. You are listening to Their Pitch and this is the Jesse Davis episode. Welcome back to a brand new episode. Today we're here with Jesse Davis. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm so, so good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. And it's been a long time coming. So finally, we got this date down and get the recording going. Jesse, I um, I know how to pronounce your name, I think. So, But I'm going to have you... Tell us a little bit about some different pronunciations that you've heard and how to pronounce it correctly. Okay, so full name is Jessica Davis. Um, I would say in the football world, it's usually, usually Jesse or Jess. Um, and of course, when it was Swedish, it was Jesse. So I've been a lot of different versions of uh, the same person. Jesse Davis. Jesse Davis. Jesse Davis, you just want to go by Jesse Davis. It's, that's uh, it was so cute to be honest with you. So I I loved it. <laughs> yeah. The Swedish the Swedish English is um, special to say the least. I will keep it at that <laughs> because it's so far from my own accent. So yeah, that's true. Uh, Jesse, let's uh, we're, we're going to start. We're going to start by touching a little bit on your career as a player and. What people might not know is that you did go to Penn State and you played with some World Cup winners mm-hmm. on that team. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the college experience and 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 why, you know, players coming from the NCAA are, are so successful. Why do you think that is? The college experience in the U.S. is, first of all, intense. Um, I think it's no secret that the U.S. has a reputation for having really strong competitors, uh, really athletic players, bigger, faster, stronger. And that's certainly the case in most universities. Um, going to Penn State was a bit of a reach for me at the time. And as you mentioned, I 
was really lucky, very fortunate to play with some of the best players in the entire country, um, potentially even best players in the world, which was an amazing experience for me. Uh, huge emphasis on the physicality. And I played in a conference where Penn State was actually the smallest, uh, the smallest team, the shortest team. And so the game was just quite physical, very direct um, and fast. And I think that because of the mindset that so many Americans have, you just have a huge amount of players who are able to compete at the highest level because they are physically and mentally tough and they've been through it in university. So by the time that they go to play professionally, no matter what you're hit with at the professional level, you've done it before in college. So um, the university system in the U.S. is just one that's built around uh, being bigger and faster and stronger. There's a huge emphasis on physicality. There's a huge emphasis on competition. It is a results-based league. Um, Of course, every school is going to tell you that your development is important, but at the end of the day, you have a really short season and you need to produce results right away. So I think because of that, when uh, Americans graduate, they've just been through the absolute grind or absolutely been through the ringer the last four years. And almost no matter what physical um battle that they're up against when they're playing professionally, they've probably been through it before within the university system, just mentally tough and physically tough players. Yeah, because you did touch a little bit on like the winning mentality. And from my understanding, this winning, like this winner mentality is instilled ever like the Olympic preparing program starts so early, like for the kids and stuff like that. How is it growing up in that kind of culture where, you know, where winning is literally instilled in your brain kind of? Yeah, it's, um, I think it feels really normal until you get out of the U.S. So being away from that mindset has sort of opened my eyes to how difficult it can be and the pressures that are put on really young players at an early age. Uh, And if I'm completely honest with you, I'd say that there is a big hindrance in a lot of players' development because the focus is on results from even when you're seven or eight years old. Uh, and playing just in a recreational league. So I think we lack a lot of really early development, a lot of early technique uh, because we're so focused on winning. And usually when you're young enough, you win if you're just bigger and faster. So um, yeah, it's just, it's just really different than what you have in Europe. And and coming out of college, was there ever like an option to play in like the professional league in the U S or well, what what happened after that, would you say? Yeah. So at the time uh, when I was graduating my, my senior year season at Penn State, I actually had a stress fracture that I'd been playing on that was sort of misdiagnosed for the last six months. And when the time came to play professionally, I spent a little bit of preseason with the Washington Freedom, which is now the Washington Spirit. And uh, I made the preseason roster, but a few days into the training, foot was just 
in so much agony. And I was also incredibly intimidated by the players I was surrounding or surrounded with, which would be marking Abby Wambach and, you know, like so many incredible players. So in to the I think I was really in over my head. And uh, the coach at the time was Jim. And I said, I'll be back next year. I'm going to graduate, get surgery, go. Uh, and with injuries, I got the surgery. Football kind of moved backward in my mind. I got interested in a few other things. And suddenly a year passed and I didn't end up playing again until I was 28. So a bit of a breather from football. Yeah. How, how, how long was that where you were out of football? Six years. Uh six years away, maybe seven. But there was like a year in between that I was thinking about playing again, but I couldn't play because I was still getting back from the injury. But I would say I when I graduated from Penn State, I was 21. And when I started playing again, I was 28. How important was it for you to be able because you said that you were you, you were still struggling with injury? How important was it for you to kind of like, make that decision that no, I'm not going to quit now. But that to have that decision in your own hands that when I want to quit, then that's when I'm going to quit. I'm not going to let this force me out of the game. Yeah. I think every player wants to be the one in charge of their own decision. I mean, retiring at no matter what age is a really, uh, <laughs> it's a life changing experience. I feel like I've already done it once. So the fact that I now have the ability to come in and do it on my own terms is really powerful. And then you ended up actually playing playing professionally but abroad and you got your first professional contract with the IK Uppsala who now is they, they played in Elite Detta which, which is the the second highest division in Sweden but they're now actually this season playing in Dalmasvenskan again for the second time ever. How how did that come about? How, how how did Uppsala become an option even? So at the the year before I was playing in Uppsala I was playing in Australia. Uh, so once I decided to get back into playing football again, I thought to myself, oh, I'll just play in the U.S. I haven't played in seven years, but I'll just sign, a, you know, sign a contract here. It will be no issue. I used to be really good. This should be fine. And it was so naive to think that. And uh, and I showed up to an open tryout only having played for about a month and a half. So six weeks or so. And I showed up and thought, I'll be fit enough to do this. And uh, I ended up making a reserves team for the Boston Breakers and spent the next couple months getting back into it. And the Australia opportunity came around and it was just a semi-pro club uh, where I got no money, didn't get the flights, nothing. And I just thought I need to get out of this country and fall in love with the game, get my feet under me again. And uh, it was in Australia that one of my teammates had played for, uh, I'll, I'll say it wrong, Karnsch Vedens. Yes. And so she had played there and she had also played at Sirius a few years prior. And she knew Gunnar from Ikupsala and she uh, basically midway through the season said to me, I think you should give this a try. You shouldn't be playing in Australia. You should go to Sweden and see what you can actually get out of this experience, how far you can go. And Uppsala would be a good club for you. So she introduced me to Gunnar and I 
flew out for a trial in November and it all just worked out and I was there in the new year. How was it? Um, so, so I, I would say like, I would maybe assume that going to Australia would be easier, like an easier move than, than going to Sweden. Cause it's, it's a new country with new culture and obviously a new language. How was it to adapt to, to, the, to, to Sweden and, you know, play, play in a league that you were not at all familiar with? Yeah. I think anyone who has, played in Scandinavia can say that it is a bit difficult at first. Uh, I think Swedish people are absolutely lovely, but it takes a little while to crack most of them. And so I think with the culture and the language and the weather showing up to Sweden in January is not the most forgiving time of year. So the first few weeks really were quite a grind and the football was so different than what I was used to because it was so tactical. And uh, in the first few weeks that I was there, uh, Friedrich, who was our coach, was like, you don't know how to kick a ball properly. So uh, it was it was humbling because he was like, you have all these things that you're that you're really good at. And that's why we brought you here. But also you don't know how to do some basic components of football. And I'm like, of course, I know how to kick a ball. I, of course I do. I, I'm 30 years old. I just turned, you know, and he's like, no, really you don't. So it took a while, but, uh, the amount of development that I had in the one season at Uppsala versus my whole life elsewhere was insane. So I was grateful for the humbling experience. How, how, how comfortable is it to have a complete stranger slide in the DMs and say, Hey, if you need some American stuff to talk about, Hit me up when you're in a new country. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I think we had a mutual friend. I think Mekta, you you had known her. And so I was like, you know this girl? And she's like, yeah, she's really nice. And I was like, okay, then it's fine. Uh, but yeah, I I guess it wasn't that weird or else we wouldn't have met <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Right. It you was seemed uh, trustworthy. Yeah. I think, I think it was a little bit, you know, First of like being like welcoming to like a new city, but also maybe a little bit for myself as well, wanting to get it, like wanting to get the American part of myself back after spending so many years in St. Louis. Um, so maybe it was a little bit for myself as well, but it worked out well. It did. And look at us now, all these years later. Right. Right. Five years. Yeah. And then you, you had a pit stop in Northern Ireland, but what I actually want to talk to you about is uh, where you're at now. FC Nordsjöland in Denmark and captain. <laughs> yes. Or as we say in Denmark, FC Nordsjöland, but same, same. Uh, yeah, this is my third season here. Um, I, I arrived to Denmark in August of 2020. So sort of uh, at the the beginning of their season and the end of that weird COVID year um, where the Danish league had a condensed version of their season. And once that ended, I um, was in touch with the coach at the time and the sporting director at the time. And, uh, and I arrived on, I think August 4th and played my first game on August 8th. So it was an absolute whirlwind getting to Norseland the first time. Around. Yeah, and how we did talk about it's been a little bit rocky but they're finally, you know, finding their their rhythm with um, you know, coaches coming in and out, Brian who just who's uh, with Everton and 
Carmelina Moscato with the, with the Tigres uh, winning titles. Yeah. How, how is, um, how is that, you know, adapting to, to being a little bit rocky in the beginning? It's, it's always going to be a challenge when you have new staff coming in because you could go from being a coach favorite to not so much. And I think every player gets a little bit nervous, uh, with, with a lot of changes because you need stability in football. Um, this lifestyle isn't the easiest. So at least if your club can provide that level of comfort, level of stability, I think it's really important. But uh, yes, in my time here, we've had three different head coaches and we've had a few different directors. And I think now that our team, the makeup of our team is very Northland. Um, whereas when I first arrived, we were a mix, very international. I think Brian is known for his connections and he had brought in a lot of really good players from across Denmark and from uh, out of the country as well. Uh, and then, and his style of play was definitely more results-based. Brian wants to win. Um, and I think Norshaland is a club that wants to win and also really wants to develop young players. So then we had Carmelina or Carm, as I call her, and she came in and I think maybe bought in a little bit more to the Norshaland identity while also really striving for the results. Um, and now we have Chris Sargent, who's in his first season with the team. And uh, I think just the makeup of our team makes it really easy to push the Norseland style of play. Um, we have eight or so players on the youth national teams in Denmark, and they've all come up through our academy. So it's there's a plan here. It's going to take some time to get to the level that I think we want to be, but certainly we're on the path now, which is great. You did have uh, one of, you know, what people would say, one of the world's greatest talents who just recently left for Arsenal, you know, as well. So does that like align with the, with the identity of the club, you know, bringing out those talents and then maybe sending them out to bigger clubs and uh, for bigger things? Yeah, it's certainly the idea on the men's side. Um, and of course the women's program came around later than the men's. So uh, it's taking a little bit more time, but key is a perfect example of a player who went through the, Academy at Norseland went to the senior team and just absolutely did an incredible job. And now she's doing the same at uh, Arsenal. So um, she's, I think, the first player to really have that sort of a name coming out of the program and and also coming through the program. But I, I've told you a couple names to keep your ears out for the future. Um, some really special players that are coming through. And it'll be exciting to see where they're at in the next two to five years. How how is it to be that older player captain and seeing all these young talents, you know, coming through and up? It's a labor of love. It's uh, it has its moments. I mean, sometimes they call me Mama Jess. Sometimes it's Grandma Jess. <laughs> um, but there's truly like almost twenty years difference between myself and the youngest player. So we're just in completely different stages of life and different stages of football. Um, I think my role on the team has gone. I have less friends now, if that makes sense, because so many of the older players have gone away. But I think it's 
it's allowed me to step even more into the leader role. Um, I think my mentality has had to change because I've always been on teams where the ultimate goal is just win, 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 win. And now winning looks different because winning also means that we have a 16 year old debutante playing and a 17 year old stepping in to fill um, key shoes when she's leaving. And, you know, it's just my idea of, of what a team, the makeup of a team should look like has changed drastically, but it's been, it's been really great to see the growth of the players. It's pretty special. For everyone listening, Key is uh, Katrina Kiel. Yes. For, for <laughs> everyone out there who doesn't know who who it is, but yeah, and then because we did we did touch a little bit on the NWSL and stuff like that. Has has that been an option since she became professional in Europe, or has there been any talks over in the states? Yeah, when I was um the year after I left Sweden, I was tempted by the NWSL and being closer to home and uh being closer to friends and family and being able to play in in a domestic league. And um so I did spend some time with the Spirit because at that point the team in Boston, uh the Breakers didn't exist any longer and I'm from originally the Washington DC area. So it seemed like the next best uh, option. And I spent time in preseason with them and it was, it was really intense. Um, just to, again, going back to the physicality of the U S you know, I'd spent the last year in Sweden really developing my football brain and then going back to the U S where it was like, yep, yeah, that's important, but not as much. We just need you to run as much as you can tackle as much as you can. And um the role was different. So uh, I, I ended up, I think my last day with them, they were like, we really like you and we would like to keep you, but we don't want to offer you um, a full contract. But it was, I think it was a world cup year. And so they're like, you know, in the summer you could maybe you could be a, or you would be a world cup replacement. And I just wasn't interested in spending my last years of my career on the bench and, and maybe not having a big role on the team. Uh, because I think at the time I was 30, 32, 31 or 32. And I just knew, you know, my time, my time was minimal left to play and I wanted to spend it playing. So um, I think if I had started earlier, or I, I think I can say with quite a lot of confidence, if I had started earlier playing in the U S would have been an option, but my path has been really roundabout. So at this point, it ain't going to happen for me. It ain't going to happen. No. So how how long is your contract with the Nordkjelland? <laughs> it, uh, I love how you say it. Uh, it's over in the summer, in June. Yeah. In June. Has there been any talks and, you know, maybe resigning or you think you're doing your last season with the club? There, there are many talks. Um, I think I've been on my last season three years in a row, to be honest with you. So you can't ever trust what I say. <laughs> Friends and family would say that, we, that you've said this before, but um, I am leaning toward this being the last year as a player. Uh, so yeah, as of this moment, I think when I'm looking ahead at this season, it will probably be my last 
my last games as a pro anyway. Um, but we'll see. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Where would you say, what, what, what do you think? What could you see yourself doing after your playing career? At this point, I can't see myself doing anything other than being in the football world. Um, I've really fallen in love with the game a lot more in the last four or five years. I think because of that tactical understanding and, and actually really, really understanding why it is that we do things the way that we do. Um, and again, I've said Norseland has a, has a really strong style of play, which was something I never really thought about before. And now that I understand it and I've wrapped my head around it and I'm comfortable with it. Anytime I watch a football match at any level, I'm like, why aren't other teams playing like this? Um, so all of this to say, I want to stay involved in football. I want to stay involved in the women's game. I think eventually I don't really see myself as a coach, but I see myself in more of like a general manager type of role, director type of role. That would be, um, that would be the goal for the future. I think not sure how to work my way there, but I would like to be in a position to help women further the game for sure. Is there anyone in particular, maybe like a coach or something that you would want to work with in the future? Absolutely. I would love to work with Carm again, Carmelina Moscato. She uh, was someone who I played with in college, but she was a few years older. So it was, I looked up to her then. And then I had the pleasure of playing for her uh, last season, which was really special. And we're, we're still in touch. And so I always say to her, you know, maybe one day we can do this again in some capacity. Um, But I've had a lot of really great coaches. I mean, I was on the phone with Brian a, a few weeks ago, actually just kind of keeping in touch. So, um, but absolutely my number one is Carm. With that being said, we're going to move on to the tactical analysis. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Probably one of the best transitions into this part, you know, going from from what you, you guys spoke about just before. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to pick up on, on some things that you said when speaking to Amanda. Let's start with, with, uh, what you said when you came to Sweden, uh, and that you got to hear from your Swedish, Swedish coach, Fredrik, that you couldn't kick a ball. Can you go more deeper into that? Like now from what you, because obviously, uh, when you get to hear that as a player, what, what, what was it about it 
that if if you had heard that today, you probably would know what he meant. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. At the time, I I thought he was maybe being a little bit too particular because in my head, if the ball got where it was supposed to go, then there was no problem. But I realized or I realize now that it was all about the delivery and the texture and the pace. And, you know, at at a certain level, when you're putting your teammate under pressure because of the ball that you're playing them, you're really putting them in a bad spot. But at the time I had no idea what he was talking about. And so when I tell you that we would go out in the morning and he would just bring two or three bags of footballs and we would just hit the same ball over and over and over again. So I'm a center back. So essentially he would play a ball either to me as if he were the other center back or as if he was a six and I would take a touch across me with my left foot to my right foot. And then I would hit the ball with my right foot um, in the air to the left winger. So it was like this diagonal ball and we just did it over and over and over and over again. And he would, he would check my laces, no, you you need to have your foot this way. You need to have your ankle locked this way. You're stepping too far from the ball. You're you're too close to the ball. It was every single thing. He was really, really particular about the way that I hit it. And I was like, this is insane because I've been doing this my entire life. But um, but I saw the difference. I mean, and from when I got to Uppsala to when I left, it was I was really not a different player, but I had a lot more tricks up my sleeve I guess and you said that you you touched on it a little bit but also but I take it from when I hear you speak that you watch a lot of football on tv Mm -hmm. I do yeah so as a center back um do you model your game um from other center backs or and and if you do do you have any favorites around the world Well, I've always, uh, as a woman, I've always looked up to Becky Sauerbrunn. She's only just a few years older than I am. But I always just loved how simple she was uh, with her decision making and didn't try to do things that were too flashy. But as I have progressed in the game, I've also really enjoyed watching Wendy Renard. And I love Virgil van Dijk um, because I think that both of those players had something that I didn't, which was calmness on the ball. Uh, It has taken a lot of time to get me to the point where I'm really, really quite comfortable with building out from the back because I'm what I would describe as sort of an old school center back, a bit scrappy, physical, good in the air, good with 50-50 challenges, that sort of thing. But I was never a playmaker and I've had to become one. So I think that those players are center backs that I've looked at and thought, okay, I would like to play a bit more like those players and just have that ease around me when I'm playing. You think that that is also something that you, in the the position uh, of a center back and the roles that the center back is, is having um, among many teams and clubs in the world right now that you, you could say, today that as a center back you need to have playmaking abilities without a doubt i think i think if you're going to play an elite level or at least with a team 
that's an elite level team at the at the high end of whatever league that you're in a center back can no longer just be a defensive minded player i mean the the entirety of the build up starts with the center back and their ability to attract pressure and play against the pressure and make things easier for the players in front of them and i can't believe that i'm saying this because i feel like i'm part of a cult now but uh absolutely it's just something that it's a, it's a skill a center back needs to have yeah, I, I, I think that is very interesting also because from how many teams play today that it, even in the top leagues and, and in the top teams, they are like, okay, we're not even gonna have the ball, um, from the opponent. The opponents aren't supposed to come at us. So we don't, we, we aren't supposed to defend anything. We're just going to play with the ball ourselves and attack, attack, attack. So, um, and man, many teams play with their center backs like that. But going back to the fact that you've you played in Sweden also, and then I, I'm as a Scandinavian person, I would say that Scandinavian football, it's, it's like, it's Scandinavian football. Uh, even if you play in Denmark or, or Sweden. And I do think that from, from one point of view, you could say that in Norway, they are more attacking uh, minded, uh, especially when you look at their national team um, from different perspectives. But what would you say in the Danish league right now, where we are today? 2023 is the year. What do you have to be really good at as a centre back to defend uh, against strikers in the Danish league? Oh, that's a really good question. I think you need to be very disciplined in your structure as a centre back because there are a lot of players who will check up into the space and try to draw you out only to create the space behind you. They're quite clever. There's a lot of really clever um, attackers in the Danish league who know how to use that against you. So defensively speaking, I think that keeping structure, keeping tight with the other center backs is probably the most important thing in our league. Yeah. And this is also interesting because when you, when you look at Scandinavian players that, that are like born and raised in Scandinavia and schooled in, in this uh, type of football. You can see that when they go abroad, you can see that the quality of tackles or even 1v1 defending probably isn't that it's not, it's not bad. It's not what I'm saying, but we play so, so, so no marking here. We play together as a team. Um, was that something you were familiar with when you came to to Scandinavia? I'm laughing because I <laughs> because you're so you're so right and I've heard this term here um emergency defending and my coaches have said you're really good at emergency defending because in the US it was a lot of that it was a lot of 1v1 you know, you had a back line of four, but you were all sort of operating independently with the exception of keeping the line relatively straight. But there wasn't a real structure to the way that you were defending. We just four naturally gifted athletic defenders. Whereas in Denmark and, and also in Sweden, but I'm, but since I'm here now, if one person is doing the wrong thing out of our four, 
the rest of us are in big trouble because we are this finely oiled machine that works really well, or, or really it's the five because I'll include the six. So if you watch our games, when things are going right, you can predict the movements of the entire back line by what's happening on the ball, where we are on the, on the pitch, who has it. Um, and so it's just the structural integrity of the back five, I'll say. It's insane how important that is. Um, but as soon as someone steps out of the line when they shouldn't, I can, you can almost see the breakdown happen right away. And then almost every time the other team will have a final action. How do you, as a defender, how do you find that? Um, I'm not sure how to put this question because from what I'm hearing, it's, it's like it should be very difficult to, because you need to look um, at your t- teammates all the time. How can a team play like that naturally, like without looking at each other i know that you're there you're and and you're there i don't have to look at you i don't have to tell you where to be um do you you know what i mean yeah i think that uh over time you get chemistry with certain players so for example i've been playing with the same right back for more or less the last two seasons and she and I always, or I always talk about how, like, I feel like I could close my eyes and I know where she's going to be just because we've played with each other and I know her strengths. So it's, and she knows mine. So she knows comfortably that she can step somewhere because of where she knows that I'll be. But I think the only thing that builds that is time and trust. Um, of course we communicate all the time, but it's not always a very formal communication. It can just be sort of like a check-in of the shoulder and just to see where I am and then to know, okay, that's enough and I can be released. So that just takes some time. You said that you can see yourself working with football after your career. Uh, After being in Scandinavia and seeing this, this side of football with the tactical stuff and the details and and the way we play football in Scandinavia. Uh, could you see yourself coach here or do you want to go back to to the States? I'm not in a rush to get back to the States uh, because I do, I really do enjoy the football here and um, the tactics to it and just you have to think so much more here. The game is a lot more transitional in the US. And sometimes I find that I'm like, I just, just keep the ball, play it around. And I can't believe that I have uh, become a Scandinavian convert. But if I were to coach, I, no matter where I coached, it would be this style. Even if it was coaching, 11-year-old girls in the U.S., they would be building out of the back and playing against the pressure and working as a unit. And their parents would be going crazy because some other bigger, faster, stronger team might beat up on them every once in a while. But by the time those girls were 16, they would be the best, I think, because they would really have that understanding. So I'm not sure if I would be a professional coach, um, but if I were to coach, it would certainly be this style. I'm glad to hear Uh, no, but uh, let me ask you this uh, then. Uh, which tactical aspect do you feel that you've grown or learned the most about since you started playing football? Um, I feel like 
I've learned a bit more about different formations, which has been nice. But if I just had to say one aspect of the game that I've learned the most of, it has been building out from the back because I just never, ever had to do that prior to um, coming to Scandinavia because goalkeepers always just took the ball and kicked it as far as they could down the pitch. So I think that my understanding of where to be body shape, where my teammates need to be in terms of the structure, that has been the area of the biggest growth for me. Does it add something to your own game to be a captain? in the team that you're playing now? For me, it's the role that feels most comfortable because I have always been a communicator. And so if you have the armband, it's sort of built in that you will you will be that voice. And I think it does sort of empower me to step into that position a little bit more naturally. Um, certainly, I feel like it's, yeah, for me, it feels like it's an empowering to have it. and. Um, Apart from uh, winning a game, what makes you satisfied with your own performance when going off the pitch? Clean sheets. Clean sheets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no goals against is always, uh, as a as a center back or as a defender, that you've done your job. No matter what the outcome of the game, if you have a clean sheet, you've done your job. So that's always a great way to judge it. Describe yourself as a center back. I am loud. I am very mobile, so I cover a lot of ground for a center back. I am good in the duels, in the 50-50 duels. Uh, comfortable in aerial battles, so um, yeah, balls in the air. Uh, becoming more comfortable with having the ball at my feet and getting a little bit closer to the attackers when I have the ball at my feet. Um, but certainly like I will kill myself to stop you from scoring. That's, I will just do everything in my power. So I do have a bit of that old school psycho. You're crazy. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> American mentality of just like, I think I, I do think I have a bit of a second gear when I'm playing. So in the last 10 minutes of a match, if we're down by something, there's just this extra level of energy or motivation that I have. But it is not always pretty. I will tell you that. <laughs> That's okay. As long as it's a clean sheet and the win. Yes, exactly. Every, everything is um, okay to do. Last question. What's your favorite football metric? Yeah, progressive passes would probably be the one that I that I would look at the most because uh, as a center back, you have a really high completion rate. So I look at my, I remember seeing my stats one game last year and I was like 98%. Amazing. And my coach was like, yes, but you went backward, you know, 80% of the time. And so it's, it's not as valuable. So I would say progressive passes forward um, would be the one that's most relevant for me. Well, with that being said, let's jump into some, Listeners' questions. Kvinde Fotbolls expertin Werner Baker wants to know. It seems like FC Nordsjöland is in a transition where they rely more and more on talents from the academy and less on American players, which we talked about. Do you think the decision slash timing is right, and does it change your role in the team? And I think we touched a little bit on this, but yeah, I do think the timing is right. 
as right as it's going to be. I think anytime you make that transition, there's going to be a bumpy road ahead. But right now within the Danish league, we're in a position where we're safe. We're in the top six. So we're in the playoffs, which means that this half season, uh, of course, we want to get results and we have some lofty goals, but it's a good opportunity to start getting those younger players a lot of experience on the pitch in an environment that even when they fail, the team is still safe and still going to be protected in, in the Kvina Liga. So it is a good time for the transition to happen, even though there have been some rocky moments coming from that. I I actually do know that uh, Werner, Werner is the one that, uh, together with uh, Amalie Bremer, is doing that uh, women's football podcast in Denmark, the only women's football podcast in Denmark. So he's very, very... He has a good knowledge of the of the Kvindeliga. Uh, Sophie, number one Stina Blackstenius advocate, wants to know. Um, I'd love to know if you have any pre-match rituals or superstitions. It's always an interesting one to hear about. Uh, my rituals have changed a bit over the years as, as I've been in different settings, but... The only non-negotiables for me on the pre-match days are pre-game coffee, pre-game walks. And then I have um, sort of a mental prep that I go through, which is a bit of goal setting, a bit of visualization and a bit of deep breathing to kind of focus me. And soccer or football wants to know... I know you're in Denmark right now, but you've been playing in Sweden. And the other day I saw some buns that they call semlor in Sweden that they have a special day for. Did you have the chance to taste them while you play there? In Sweden, I did have a semlor. But now in Denmark, we have festelaun, which is uh, much more easy to find. Or they have their take on semlor, which is different. But I did have an authentic version in Uppsala. Um, we're going to skip to the this or that five questions rapid fire now, which is um, I have one that's going to put you on the spot just a little bit. <laughs> but I think you might laugh when you hear it. All right. OK. All right. So no explanation. Just pick one or the other. All right. Yeah. Uh, stopping the opponent from scoring or scoring one yourself. Stopping from scoring. Swedish English or Danish English. Swedish English. <laughs> Start the perfect attack from the back that ends up in a goal or kick it long and get get the assist? Mm, start the perfect attack from the back that leads to a goal. Coming on from the bench and making a true impact that leads to the win or starting in a mediocre game where you either lose or draw? Oh, God, that one is terrible. But I have to say probably... I'm. I like starting, so I'll say that. Slide tackler intercepting a pass that is about to break the lines. Slide tackle. And with that being said, Jesse, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. I did. It was a blast.